Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. To let me know what you think of this podcast or to suggest a future guest, please go to the contact page at nathanwhitlock.ca. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Anne Douglas. Anne is a best-selling author and a frequent contributor to CBC Radio. She's the author of 26 works of nonfiction. Yes, that is correct. And she is the creator of the Mother of All Books series, which have sold over half a million copies in North America. Anne's most recent book is Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and wildly encouraging guide for midlife women, published by Douglas and McIntyre in 2022. Kim Schiffman, the editor-in-chief of Today's Parent, said about the book that reading it made me feel seen, understood, and empowered. Anne and I talk about what it's like to write 26 books, a feat, by the way, that included writing her first book in less than two months while pregnant, and then later writing five books in one year. We also talk about the years of emotional and physical burnout that followed that particular stunt, and how she has found a new sense of joy and balance by tackling the least emotionally taxing writing project of them all, a novel. Your most recent book is Navigating the Messy Middle, and the subtitle is A Fiercely Honest and Wildly Encouraging Guide for Midlife Women. Now, I am a man who is... I'm a young man at the very start of my life, and <laughs> I'm not at all a mess. I've got everything sorted out. Should I read this book? What What would be your pitch to me as a a um, uh, a, a young man fresh on the scene? Yes. Well, um, as a perfect human, you might not be my ideal reader, so I have to acknowledge that off the get go. But maybe you know somebody else in your life who does, in fact, grapple with imperfection and messiness, and who has discovered that life likes to play tricks on you. You know, you think you're on one path, and then suddenly the the terrain changes dramatically. So, so I would say that probably that would be your in being able to help your your mere mortal friends <laughs> right the thing is i don't know anybody who's a mess either everybody i know is just completely uh, on the ball and has it all sorted out and figured out so <laughs> so after we hang up you're going to have to give me your coordinates cuz i'm going to move <laughs> to your neighborhood yeah yeah it's uh, 101 utopia lane uh nowheresville <laughs> What what brought this book on? Because I mean, were you in a point at a point in your life where you were in that mess, or were you just it, your peer group, or were you seeing other people, or was it a sense of I can just help others as a, again as a perfect human, as I assume you are as well. 
It's a funny thing, you know, um, because the sort of the origin of this particular book was one of those out of the blue emails that you can sometimes get from somebody else. In this case, it was my literary agent, Hillary McMahon, and she um, sort of said to me, um, I, she sent me a message one day, I have an idea, I know what your next book needs to be about. It's like, this has never happened to me in my life. This is going to be my, well, this is my 26th book. And so of course, it's like, how quickly can we run to the phone and get on the phone? And she said, I need you to write a book about midlife, because I need a book about midlife written for oh. By you, which I thought, wow, I've never had a special request as an as an author. So I started thinking about it. And I thought, you know what, everything I've done in my earlier career of doing a lot of writing about pregnancy and parenting is very much focused on human development and sort of, you know, making sense of a particular life stage. And I thought, wow, what if I got to do that? for the life stage I'm in right now, wouldn't that be fascinating? And so, so there was that little spark, then we did the, you know, the extended long dance that is a book proposal that you can actually um, sell to a publishing house. And along the way, like, uh, you know, I got very excited about the idea thinking about once again, interviewing a large number of people, I ended up interviewing 118 women and having in many cases, hour long zoom conversations, so we could really go go deep into the issues. Um, and I realized how a lot of the existing books really, really sort of made this life stage sound too simplistic. Either it was like, it's terrible, it's the end of the world, it's all downhill from here, or it's magical, you just have to lean in and embrace your inner whatever. Um, and I just I didn't like either, like, I felt like the truth is somewhere in the middle, the messy middle, right. So that's how that sort of came together. And then, you know, just as a sort of a bizarro side story. I'm a messy person. Um, you know, my hair is indicative of my brand, my hair sort of made it onto the book cover. Um, I have little piles of organized clutter all over, like everything is a system. But because I'm a creative person, I'm sort of pulling ideas and things from all directions. So I have like, little mountains of stuff all over the place. So, so, you know, this would never be like the minimalist ap approach to midlife, where you just have nice, neat, organized instructions. It's like, um, urban sprawl of the mind. That's sort of my approach right. to writing and life. <laughs> I have to go back to what you mentioned about the hair. This is an audio podcast, so people can't appreciate, but uh, you have to tell me the story of this cover and, and how your hair, because now looking at the, a photo of the cover, I can see it. How did how did that come about? Did the designer yes. see a photo of you and said we we need to incorporate that? Well, I think it's just like my hair is big. I'm just taking the ponytail tamer thing off, so you can sort of see it's very voluminous. And we're heading into like big hair season because of mm -hmm. humidity, right? So by the end of it, I will look sort of a lot like dandelion fluff. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because I think for me. Um, Part of being at midlife has had it was like a hair curveball. I used to have short, much straighter hair, and then something happened at midlife. I guess it could be hormonal or who knows, but like my hair went really wildly curly and uncontrollable. And for a while, I well, for 20 years, I'd been going to the same hairdresser, and he had been sort of encouraging me to torture my hair and like to sort of try and take out all the curl and stuff. And then with the pandemic, right, you hit the pause, you mm -hmm. don't go for a few hair appointments, I decided to try a different hairdresser. And she was like, 
embrace the curl, you know, it's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll give it a whirl. And so around the same time they were designing my cover. And at first, the, you know, the first couple of concepts they showed me were too neat and orderly. And I kept saying, no, like I did not want to have like the, the perfect minimalist midlife book. So it's like, um, the font needs to be messy and creative. The image needs to be messy and creative. So when they showed me this person with her hair just off in a cascade, it's like, yes, this is the best book cover ever. Because um, for once, when I show up on the podcast, people won't be holding up the author photo and trying to puzzle out like, how did this person who looked kind of together on the day they took the author photo morph <laughs> into this person who's showing up on our Zoom screen? <laughs> Um, I also love that you embraced this 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 new sort of like abandon and wildness and 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 sort of metaphorically it's in the hair. But I have to ask, like even in your in your life, did you find you were at the same time there was like a parallel acceptance of like more mess, more wildness, more yes. we don't have a plan for this. Yeah, absolutely. And especially creatively, because um, I mean, I've written 26 books of nonfiction, right? And about two years ago, I decided I really wanted to get serious about trying to write a novel. And so like, I am in like pre kindergarten in terms of fiction writing skills. But for the first time in my life, I don't feel that pressure to be good at something, right? Because I mean, how could I be? I'm just like two years in, I just figured out about scene structure this week. So you can imagine what some <laughs> of my earlier writing was. was. I mean, very vivid and lots of different ideas and stuff, but not in any containable form that another human could make sense of, right? So, um, so I think that's been part of it, just giving myself permission to really do the things that I really have been waiting my entire life to do. And I feel like at this point, it sort of all comes down to um, relationships. I'm really big on community and connecting with people and staying connected for a million years. So, so unfortunately for you, now that we've connected, I'll be in your, in your orbit until the end of time. So there's that cluster of things. And then um, nature, I am like obsessed with nature. I go for two long walks every day. And it's just like, it's a big part of who I am. And then ideas and learning. And I mean, I feel like I've had a lifelong love affair with books and, and the printed text. So sometimes I think about like 12 year old me always wanted to like live in a cottage and get to read books. Like how do you get a job where you get to read books? Right. Um, and now here I am at 59 and I still haven't figured out how to get paid for reading books. If we ever can crack that nut, that would be very helpful. But to get to, you know, buy them, read them, um, obsess about them, analyze, right now I'm, I'm really big on reading a novel and analyzing the narrative structure and thinking like this is so clever because part one covers a moment like a day and part two covers 14 different characters you know decade and then in the next one it's like they're back to a minute it's just it's magical it's, I almost feel like I'm getting to see the silly putty being stretched in all directions and to admire things about craft that I guess I internalized and appreciated as a reader but once you start trying to analyze that as a writer it is fascinating and you know what if I spend the rest of my life trying to figure this out that's totally okay I feel like what could be you know, more enviable than to spend the rest of your life in, in a state of creative joy. So that's sort of where I find myself right now. By the way, can I guess the book that you just described, the structure you just described, was it To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf? Um, it wasn't actually that one. Believe it or not, I feel like I'm probably going to get like kicked out of, you know, 
the writing community by, by saying I haven't read any Virginia Woolf since university. Okay. Um, but no, I think um, the book that I'm most inspired by right now is a book a friend of mine wrote, um, Andrea J. Buchanan, and it's called Five Part Invention. And it's about five characters over about 150 years worth of history. And there's like one umbrella story that sort of is the structure that kind of holds the book together. And then I was thinking of it dropping into sort of like narrative islands, like little freestanding stories. She, she told me they were actually novellas, which shows I'm still learning some of the lingo of what's this and what's that. Um, but I have this visual, I can literally see these islands of text that are doing all kinds of creative things in terms of form and structure and the movement of time and, and what characters tell, telling the story. And I mean, I realize like, I can barely carry off a single point of view for a sustained period of time. So this is sort of like wild things to aspire to later in my career. But wow, once you start pulling on those threads and you see how it all weaves together, it's it's brilliant and magical. I don't think you should. I don't think anyone should ever feel shame for not having read one of the, you know, the big canon authors or not having read them recently. Having said that, I will I will, you know, encourage because I love Virginia Woolf uh, beyond the academic connection. The great um, thing is I can reach behind me and she's on my bookcase. It's there not you like go. I even have to leave the house, you know. <laughs> but there are, you know, there are books that I I will admit I have even I've I have a few novels out and I have suggested those as the kind of um, comparative titles that you're supposed to give that like if you if you like this, you'll like this, that kind of thing. I've sometimes suggested books that I sort of know would work that I haven't read. That I just sort of know. And I'm always thinking I should go back and read those books that I'm suggesting are similar to mine. But sometimes I just never get around to it. So I don't think there should be any shame whatsoever involved. I want to talk about the novel in a little bit, but I need to go back to something that you've mentioned twice, a, a, a data point that you've dropped twice that is remarkable and that I put it in my notes which is 26 books that's astonishing how did this start I believe your first book was the complete idiot's guide to Canadian history is that correct 1997 yeah yes. how did that how does a career like that begin how does a run like 26 books begin <laughs> um with fierce determination I literally had two goals when I was a young adult one was to have children which I did four times and one was to write at least one book which as you said I've now done 26 times and so at first I just did the thing that you did in the mid-1990s right you you sent query letters and sort of you know like book proposals I don't know how many times I've recommended Michael Larson's book how to write a book proposal but I have bought every edition of that book um and I I just followed his recipe right so um what I was pitching to it was Prentice Hall Canada at the time what I was pitching to them was a book on parenting in the home office because shockingly at that point I had three children under some very young age who were uh, climbing into my lap while I was trying to write these query letters and so on so they weren't interested in a parenting book from me but they said you know we notice on your resume that you attached or whatever, that you have a degree in Canadian history. So would you like to write this? And I wrote that book 
the summer I was pregnant with my fourth kid. And I have a vivid memory of this because they gave me an insanely tight deadline. Like I think I signed the contract in June and I had to hand the book in at the end of August or something. Cause I remember, Oh my God. Yes. It was insane. Like we, um, we went on a family vacation <laughs> And it involved taking the ferry across to uh, um, like to Manitoulin Island. And I remember being in the car, the kids were playing in the backseat doing their thing. I had the laptop on my belly, which provided a perfect shelf because <laughs> of, you know, being quite pregnant at that point, because the baby was due in September. So like, you know, eight ninths of a pregnancy and um, just somehow getting it done like I mean and I think that helped to open the door to other things because once you've written a book on something people see that you can in fact honor the terms of a book contract and deliver the goods and so on I do not necessarily recommend that it was a little <laughs> intense but I learned a lot and I think that the only thing that gave me the courage to do that and dive in was realizing that I'd written a gazillion magazine articles over the years by then and really simplistically and idealistically, I said to myself, isn't a book just so many different magazine articles stacked right. on top of one another? Well, it was a bit more complicated than that, but at least I had my in. And then um, my, my next book was a children's book called Baby Science, How Babies Really Work. Again, I had a baby in my stomach and then on my lap that I could use for inspiration and in fact that kid ended up being in the book the publisher asked if you know if I had a little photo of him I wanted to include so he uh ended up being on I think it was on page 17 of my book I brought him to um trade shows and so on he threw up in my hand in the booth of the publisher and I managed <laughs> to catch the vomit so that was an important life skill but the biggest thing was when I think of baby science I think about when Ian was in public school, he discovered that the girls in his class were very impressed with the fact that he had been a baby in a book. So he asked if he could photocopy the page and hand it out at school <laughs> to the girls in his class. Like a signed eight by 10 from a celebrity? That kind of thing, yes. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Um, the idea of writing your first book in a couple of months with other with some kid, little kids around and while heavily pregnant. It, it reminds me a bit of you read interviews with rock stars or actors who went through a period, let's say in the 70s or 80s, where they were heavily into, you know, um, exploring the outer reaches of substance abuse, let's say. And they literally don't remember making like one or two of their albums because they were in such a zonked out state or making a particular movie. They're just like, that was it. That was 18 months that is that's gone from my brain. I wonder how you think about that period now while you were making the book. Do you have any kind of clear, coherent memories other than these flashes of balancing <laughs> a laptop on your belly? Or has it become some weird traumatic moment that you wake up screaming in the middle of the night? Well, thankfully, I've been reading all these books on narrative time, right? So now I understand the distinction between having like, you know, all of these individual snapshots lined up, which I don't think I have as much of those as opposed to when our brilliant narrator goes into narration and says, that was the summer when we tended to do this and that and, and over and over again, we would repeat this activity. That's what 
long stretches of those intense writing and parenting years feel like for me and they're populated by something like you know a baby was born or um, this book came out or my husband accompanied me on a book tour across Canada carrying around a, uh, a breastfeeding toddler so that I could feed him when I wasn't doing my interviews and how we almost got divorced when we landed in the Toronto airport after that because the baby was sick. We were both exhausted and, and that became the never again moment. Like no child ever went with me on a book tour again. And I just <laughs> simply told the publishers that uh, you know, you can have two weeks of my time. We can, this was in the olden days when book tours were a thing, right? So we'll do Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, et cetera, in one week, then I'm home for a few weeks. And then we do like, you know, the middle of Canada. I never did ever get to, um, Atlantic Canada, but who knows, right? Well, they don't, they don't have messy people out there. So again, <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't have children or messy people. So yeah, they, they, just don't they, need the, they don't need the Exactly. Yes. It's too clean. But going back to that idea of the 26 books, just the sheer volume is is so impressive. I have to ask, like, this must means you were necessarily writing these things somewhat simultaneously, juggling, juggling one idea at a certain stage with another idea at another one. Maybe you're in revisions while you're pitching on something else. How were you able to do that? Do you have the sort of brain that is able to you know, the the mental spreadsheet that just arranges this all? Or were you just plowing forward and hoping this all works out? Um, I guess I was blessed with a mood disorder that wasn't regulated well in the early years, because there was one year, I think it was 1999, that I wrote five books in a year. And oh, looking back now, it's like, I mean, it's taking me years to write my first 20 pages of this novel, right? So I'm in a very different place now, but I think it was just um, hypomania, right? Like just having endless energy and enthusiasm. And you can see I'm still a pretty enthusiastic person, right? So I haven't lost that part, but what I've learned is to pace myself a little and to realize that, sure, I can go gangbusters with something, but if I do it indefinitely, I will burn out. And I did burn out after, you know, shockingly, after writing a gazillion books in rapid succession. Um, it was after I'd written um, my two meal, my mealtime solutions and sleep solutions books that were both due within a four month period. Like it was not a great time. And then I just literally um, completely fizzled out after that. It was like at, right at the peak of all the mother of all books doing really well. And um, the terror that comes from, you know, the first edition of this book, the mother of all pregnancy books was a bestseller. So now if I'm going to justify having a second edition in the world, I need to make that 10 times better for the readers. And it needs to be thoroughly up to date in every single line and every single reference. So really sky high standards for myself. Um, and I got really depressed and burnt out for about three years. I basically, I almost lost the um, the contract to write the second edition of the Mother of All Pregnancy books because they wanted it. And I literally was not well enough to do it. So my dear agent sort of said, just get something across the finish line. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. Get something out there and then you can work with it afterwards. And we did. And the, you know, the book is still in print all these years later. It's literally... Um, the Mother of All Pregnancy books has been in print for 20 years in, in Canada. There were U.S. editions. There were some international editions as, as well. 
Um, but living through that time, that was not fun. I literally decided that I had to learn some strategies for putting the brakes on that high energy. For a while I was on medication, then I had some kind of like weird liver enzyme thing that made it not a great idea for me to be on medication. And coincidentally, I just started walking. And I'm not saying that walking is like a mental health cure for anybody who's significantly struggling, but for me, it gave me a way to dial back some of the anxiety. Cause I think that some of that perfectionism drove me to try to overachieve it's like the first month I started sending out magazine queries I thought well you know probably most of these are going to get rejected so I should probably send out like 20 ideas and a ton of them resulted in assignments and then I had way too much work and then you have to you know you have to keep pushing things through the system and then people want other ideas from you and it sort of like spiraled out of control so I think that there's there's such a challenge in the writing life, eh? because you're always juggling off time and money. So in those early days, when I really was trying to generate an income, because I had like all those children to help, help, you know, support, um, I would sort of like work way too hard, earn some money, get burnt out. And now I feel like I'm on a much more even kilter. And I also don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody. I mean, if there's 26 letters in the alphabet, and I wrote 26 books, there's something kind of nice about that, right? The, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the pattern in that. And so like, if I get to finish writing this novel someday, and I have something that I'm, I'm proud enough to put out into the world, that's great. But if it doesn't happen, that's also okay, too. And I think that's one of the gifts of midlife for me is getting to that stage of okayness, and feeling happy and excited, as opposed to anxious and constantly under pressure. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you're in a better place. Because honestly, writing five books in a year that sounds like a kind of weird author's version of self-medication like yes. I am going to completely overdose on this thing that I do which is which is writing books totally and obviously there's some really uh easy and and obvious irony that you wouldn't want to put in a novel but it's it's real life in that you are burning out writing these parenting books these parenting advice books and you have these kids around you and this family going like, hey, we are the family that that requires the attention, requires the help, or requires you, requires your presence. And I imagine you were at that time going, I can't give you me because I have to give everyone else me and give everyone else this advice. I think what I did mostly was cut myself out of the equation. It's like I was either giving the kids um, all the attention or else I was like completely immersed in my writing. And I never had time to go do a fun thing or ever exercise or eat well or do any of those kind of things. Um, but I mean, there were moments of irony. Like I remember one time I was up at 2 a.m. working on sleep solutions because the universe <laughs> does have a sense of humor and falling asleep at my keyboard and realizing, no, no, no. I think I need to read the stuff on, you know, con conditions that will encourage healthy sleep, a darkened room, quiet, calm, etc. Yes. There's this person, Ann Douglas, who's giving this great advice on this situation I'm in. I should probably heed some exactly. of that advice. Exactly. Yeah. And especially the stuff on self-compassion. I didn't really learn a lot about self-compassion until I was writing my book, Parenting Through the Storm. But it was like a light bulb moment. It's like, what if you didn't have to do anything to prove your worthiness as a human being or as a writer? What if you could just say, 
I am okay the way I am. And I'm going to be at least as kind as, to myself as I would to somebody who's struggling. Like I would never say to another writer, um, I'm going to lock you in an office and I want you to write five books in a year because I wouldn't have any friends who are writers, right? I have to ask about the shift to, to fiction and the shift to this novel. What precipitated that? And was it part of coming to terms with that 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 very situation we've been talking about that like I've accomplished this I don't need to be on that hamster wheel quite as much I don't need to be running on it quite as quickly it's time to start thinking in terms of like longer term more immersive and more meaningful maybe more of your soul was that was that part of the shift part of it was that I had always wanted to write fiction. And for the longest time, I would take courses in short fiction. I took quite a number with Michelle Berry when she was teaching at Trent University. Oh, and yes. I belonged to like a writer's group where we did workshopping and that kind of thing. But I, you know, people would start sending out their work and I just knew my work wasn't ready because you know how for a long time you have the eyes to understand something before you have like the skills yourself to carry that out yeah and so um so a lot of other people were submitting and I wasn't but anyways so I'd always wanted to do fiction but I'd always been terrified about the idea of a novel and then I realized like if I ever try to write a, a short story given my tendency towards urban sprawl in my writing I mean I once handed in a pregnancy book that was 40,000 words over length luckily we were able to hive off the last part and make it the beginning of the baby book but you can't necessarily rescue text in that way very many times in your career so I thought if I try to write a short story it's going to be a 90,000 word short story so what might that thing be called and also, like, I tend to research everything to death. Like, when I wrote my midlife book, I read 100 books, 1,000 journal articles. I interviewed 118 women. Like, there's all that information composting in my head. And even, like, you know, part one of my story threads or timelines in my novel is going to be in the 1970s. So I'm looking at a bookcase full of books about the 1970s, either history books or like novels that were written at the time or other sort of primary materials. I've been into like, you know, newspaper databases, the whole shebang. Um, so I don't know, maybe some people can do that for a 10 page short story, but I sort of feel like to me, there's going to be so much material, it has to be a novel. And yet, um, I think I, I feel like I have like a lively project in my head and still no idea of what I'm doing in terms of structurally getting it on the page. I've written 100,000 words of like sort of free flowing rough stuff. I probably like 500 of the words and that's okay, <laughs> you know, because the, some of those 500 words I really, really like, and maybe they are like the threads that I then anchor other things to. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Well, it doesn't shock me to hear that you've attacked this novel project with just as much obsession and overwhelming work ethic that you attacked everything else you're not going to this with any chill whatsoever it's it's yet another like all right what's going to completely take me over this time <laughs> Yes, I feel so sorry for anybody who um, booked an appointment with me in the month of April, because 
Um, I forgot every single one, like, you know, and people would be sending me a reminder half an hour before the meeting, I would zonk out. And it's because I took this novel in a year program through Story Studio Chicago with Rebecca Mackay as my instructor. And I, at that point, I was drafting pages. And I literally, it was like when I'm in nonfiction book editing mode, waking up in the middle of the night, and you're, you're reading text in your sleep, which I'm sure is very mentally unhealthy, but it happens, right? And in this case, it'd be like, I'd be lying in bed and I'd think, I do not want to get up. And then some character would start nattering in my head. It's okay, fine. The only way to shut you up is to get out of bed and find like some random scrap of paper, jot a few things down. Some days I woke up the next morning. I thought, well, this was really worthwhile. I'm happy I wrote this down. Other days it's like, what human being wrote this down? I can't even read the writing and I have no idea what it means. But I saved a few of those random fragments just because I feel like after I'm through this process, people are going to say, so how do you write your first novel? And I'll just show them like the random chunks of junk <laughs> and say, this is what you do. You combine it all, you stir it, you cook it at 350 for 35 minutes and you have a novel. I can almost picture the scene when you, you know, sat down and said, I think I'm feeling better about my my career and my approach to my work. I'm not going to, I found the way to out of this kind of Again, this wheel of writing books, writing books, writing books. I found my way out of it. And someone says, well, oh, good. How did you do it? Oh, by writing another book. And and one that's going to actually be much harder because it's completely new to me. And I'm going to have to do all of this work and all of this research and all of these notes or something. It's like, it doesn't sound like you are, you've just, you've replaced your hamster wheel with a, with a hamster conveyor belt or something that you're now, <laughs> you know. I'm so happy that you're happy about it, but I don't know that you're in a better place in terms of <laughs> your relationship to the work. Yeah, I wonder if there's an, a non-obsessive version of me that is chilled, you know, does NaNoWriMo and says, oh, whatever, I don't know if I'll any ever care about these 50,000 words I wrote. No, I never wanted to do not NaNoWriMo because I knew I couldn't decide on the focus of the project in time over the over the 30 days, so... It's 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 still a great place to be. And 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 I love that you're you're that engaged with it. And it's not a uh, it's a, it's every bit as as um, anxiety ridden and obsessive and immersive as everything else. You seem like someone who just you, you said yourself, you need social connection and you love social connection and you love talking to people. I mean, you talk to 100 people for for one book, but you live in a, in a place that's somewhat remote. So how do you find that connection? How do you maintain those connections? Are you uh, an obsessive FaceTimer and Zoomer? Or do you have like a, a social circle where you are that you can see people in real life? What's really interesting is I'm I'm really actually very introverted, but I also love people. Like I seem to have two settings, like 100% on, 100% off. I guess I still have to find that, that moderation setting in the middle. But anyways, um, in terms of like real life people, we made the decision to move here quite suddenly, like, and so I didn't actually know anybody when we made the decision to move to this part of the Ottawa Valley. But I think community is really important. I also do a lot of activist work. And so I, I'm like a big believer in like community and connectedness and all that kind of thing. So I wrote a letter of introduction to our three closest neighbors and I mailed it to them. I was worried that with rural mailboxes, if you just open somebody's rural mailbox, they might think you were stealing their mail and I didn't want them to hate <laughs> me the first time 
time they encountered me. And so two out of, two out of three of the neighbors wrote back details, letters of introductions. I feel like I sort of know those people. Um, but in terms of day-to-day -day connection, um, I have three younger sisters and we have a perpetual sister text message loop that goes on and on and on. I had to actually mute it before I came on the call because I can guarantee there were probably like 30 messages while we were talking. So strong sense of family. I also am like such a relationship person that I stay connected to people I care about like forever. I'm still really close with one of my high school friends and my favorite cousin and that kind of thing. So I, um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, mainly it's my husband and I, he was my high school sweetheart. Like I told you, like, you know, I connect with you. I, I collect you, you become a permanent fixture <laughs> in my life. He can attest to that. So, yeah, so I think that's how I sort of um, sort of balance that out. And I've always belonged to writers associations. I feel like, you know, you need to have friends who are like normal humans just to sort of remind you how that works in the world. But you also need friends who are writers. So yesterday I could send a, a text message to somebody saying, I just finished reading um, Romantic Com Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. And I really like the way this novel's structured because of course that's my current obsession, right? And do you want to get together and nerd out and talk about the author's craft choices? And you can't do that with everybody because some people will be like, oh, that sounds so fun. Can we organize your filing cabinet as a follow-up? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you have writer buddies, uh, they're the best. That swing in your in your social needs sounds very familiar because I sometimes feel like I'm the kind of person that wants to have like 100 people in my house and have a big throw a big house party. And then as soon as that's set up, I'll go stand in a corner of the kitchen and talk to one person the whole night. I just I like the idea that it's happening, but then I don't have to be part of it. I'll be just having one conversation for the, you know, and I'll never get around to actually talking to anyone else. I also need to know what's the deal with that third neighbor who didn't <laughs> reply. I'm trying not to hold a grudge. I'm hoping that maybe, you know, they were busy or something like that, but maybe I'll maybe I'll apply for a grant where you can interview your neighbors and I can casually <laughs> bring that up in the conversation. It's like, you know, when I moved here last year, I did this thing and you didn't write back. What was that about? Or you may uncover a like uh, rural crime syndicate happening right under your uh, right under your nose. Yes, maybe they're sort of in the witness protection program and and they cannot identify themselves. Like there's just see everywhere there's fiction possibilities, right? You're already pitching a new novel. You have to finish this one first, Anne. The neighbors. <laughs> See, there'll be an island of stories about each person, and the umbrella story will be me moving to the area, right? So. Very well done. You're already in the zone. You're absolutely in the zone. And I'm I'm certain I will have to have you on when you now have 26 novels under your belt. And we can we can talk about your shift into like screenwriting and how you're you're preparing your first movie treatment and uh yeah, all the work you're doing to put it together. Thank you so much, Anne. This was so much fun. I can't remember the last time I laughed so much. I think I'm gonna have store, sore stomach muscles today, but that's okay. <laughs> What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones. <laughs>